welcome CTSnet friends to another CTSnet podcast. My name is Joel Dunning and I like to bring you all the latest news in cardiothoracic surgery every single week. We have a packed show for you today. Uh, so we have ChatGPT smashing CSATs, now a fully qualified cardiothoracic surgeon. Uh, we have an interesting uh, news item all about isolated tricuspid surgery and their outcomes. And uh, we have a really good new document that lays out the future for paediatric heart surgery in developing countries. We've got some videos as well, the Yang procedure and a really difficult TAVA explant. So stay tuned, keep going, and uh, we'll go through all this. And thanks for joining. So the first news item that we have selected for you is a really interesting paper in the Annals of Thoracic Surgery. It was January 2023. Absolutely brilliant, big STS database analysis by Dong Chen, Dominic Emerson and Joe Chikwi uh, doing an amazing job working so hard at down there. So what did they do? Well, they went and looked at the STS database between 2011-2020 and they found 14,704 tricuspid uh, operations, isolated ones, uh, a mind-boggling number. Uh, and, uh, and actually, they got rid of the emergency cases. 6,500 were endocarditis, uh, some stenosis or transplants. They got rid of them uh, and then they, they analysed the rest. Now, I don't know about you, but an isolated tricuspid operation is a real rarity in our hospital. You know, we will literally do one a year, two a year, really rare. And actually, sometimes, you know, they're very high risk that right heart fails. What's the reason? Has the liver failed already? So, you know, I was really interested in looking at what the outcomes are internationally. And uh, it is really interesting. So the average mortality of an isolated uh, tricuspid is 7%. It's one in 12. That's really, really high. And I think that does reflect uh, what we see in our hospital. Now, interestingly, if you don't have any high-risk criteria, uh, if you're an elective patient, you don't have heart failure, your mortality is only 1.7%. So it's all about case selection. Um, uh, they had a really good look at what causes increased risk. Well, it's heart failure. It's actually uh, liver disease. Uh, actually, interestingly, here's some interesting ones. Tricuspid replacement rather than repair. Um, and then the really probably most important one, if your centre does less than five isolated tricuspids a year, your mortality is worse. And uh, and that goes for a lot of things, doesn't it? So, so in these rare, difficult ones, then we should be concentrating this uh, in the best hands. Um, Interestingly, as an aside, my, my centre did uh, had a big controversy and did a literature review on if you're going to replace a tricuspid, should you do a mechanical, like in a young person, 30s, 40s, who got endocarditis, or a biological one. And interestingly, the redo rate for mechanical versus biological is exactly the same. Uh, really interesting. So, so in our centre, there is no reason to do a mechanical valve ever if it's an isolated tricuspid, uh, thereby uh, relieving uh, all patients. Of, 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 of warfarin. That's really controversial. I'd love to hear what uh, you think. Now, it's been great. I've had lots and lots of positive responses from this podcast, lots of people emailing or leaving uh, comments down below. So uh, why don't you post a comment? Would you ever put a mechanical tricuspid valve in? Uh, I'd really in be interested in hearing your thoughts. So let's move on. Uh, the second paper we selected for you uh, was uh, a really interesting paper uh, in the BMJ, Global 
Global Health, uh, published just this last week. Uh, an absolute stellar group of people, uh, uh, Chip Bowman, Jacques uh, Kapodonku, uh, Sia Bowman, uh, all sorts of people uh, who are really, really invested in doing charity missions out to the developing world. And they have come together. They've got together to create the Global Initiative for Children's Surgery. Uh, fantastic, uh, really great uh, development. And in this brilliant article, they have laid out, A, the problems with uh, surgery in the developing world. These are barriers, obviously, everything you could guess, financial, social, economic, um, religious, uh, resources uh, and government barriers. But they have created uh, a five levels of care that they think every country should consider and trying to have each of these five levels in a paediatric and congenital cardiac service. So your first level maybe your local region in a, in a country that you're trying to help. Uh, just screening. Let's have some screening. How do you have triage? Um, and just find people that might that have got murmurs, uh, that, that are short of breath, that have got ankle swelling. Uh, and let's just have that first level, the eyes and ears to find these common patients in the developing world. The next level, you'd have some centres, maybe district general hospitals, small community hospitals that have an echo and maybe someone that can interpret the echo so the murmur turns into a diagnosis, uh, and uh, which is really great. And then we can help these centres to try and optimise their diagnosis. That's just level two, uh, place with an echo. Then place three, uh, a bit more of a developed centre, maybe a teaching hospital. You would try and make sure they, they could have catheter services, uh, ICUs, CCUs, uh, inpatient diagnostics and geography so that they can really work up adult and paediatric uh, cases and then be able to present them as a finished ready package to surgical centres. So then just the last two centres would be those pinnacle of a country. So you'd have everything. So four and five, you'd have access to cardiac cath labs, cardiac surgery, hopefully multiple surgeons, anaesthetists, cardiologists, and, uh, uh, and, and, and access hopefully from missions from around the world that can help. And, uh, and here at CTSnet, we really, really want to support missions. We want to get everybody who has a cardiac surgery major centre thinking about going. Can we once a year go out to the third world to help? Because I think it's only that way that we can build up all these five levels of service in the developing world. So take a look at that uh, article if you're really interested. Uh, the link's just down below uh, in the show notes uh, and tell us what you think. And, uh, and do consider uh, starting up a program of missions in your hospital and get in contact to meet or Emily Farkas or Chip Bowman or Sia or any of the fabulous people doing missions today uh, to get you going now. Let's move on. Uh, Chat GPT. I thought this would never come to surgery, but it has. Uh, this is a fascinating paper. Uh, and, uh, and this paper says the remarkable ability to process thoracic surgery data that could help with training and patient care. Well, uh, what did they do? Well, they actually put it through the CSATs. Uh, they put it through uh, the um, Self-Education and Self-Assessment in Thoracic Surgery, CSATS Board's Questions for the American Board of Thoracic Surgery. They gave it 400 of the questions. And how did ChatGPT do? Well, I didn't know there are different types of version, 3.5 and 4, and the latest version, uh, how did it do? It got 81%. Oh my God. So it passed. So it can now be a cardiothoracic surgeon. So I'm going to uh, fire myself uh, and just install all my patients in front of uh, ChatGPT. And actually I'll do the operation that ChatGPT tells me to. Um, 
So I'm only joking, but uh, interestingly, as an aside, uh, 10 years ago when my son was eight, he was doing his first exam and I was doing my exit exam. And I came back and I said to my, my son said, how did you do? Um, and I said, oh, I did really well. I passed, I can be a consultant cardiothoracic surgeon. He said, what mark did you get? I said, well, I got 70%. And he said, what 30% of cardiothoracic surgery don't you know? Uh, so I always found that amusing that actually we don't all get 100% in all our exams because, uh, you know, I'd want to go to that surgeon. But uh, but anyway, chat GPT can get 81%. So uh, something to watch out for. Actually, on a more serious front, we are creating uh, a lot of leaflets and pamphlets. We use chat GPT to, to fill really coherently uh, some of the detail in it. So, yeah, check that out and, uh, and maybe let us know if you've used chat GPT in cardiothoracic surgery. So those were our general news scan items. Uh, I hope you enjoyed those. And uh, now I'm going to pass over to Cameron Lynn to tell you more things that are on the CTSNet website. Are you on the lookout for a new job in cardiothoracic surgery? Hundreds of open positions are waiting for you at CTSNet's Career Center. Through CTSNet.org, you can browse jobs and sign up for custom job alerts direct to your inbox. For an even more enhanced experience, create a free account and upload your resume so employers and recruiters can find you. Happy job hunting! Now, back to the beat. We have selected three absolute banger videos for you. If you've got some time, please do check these out. They are fantastic. And uh, you may have seen the podcast last week where we presented to you a one-hour aortic seminar. It's really, really interesting. And uh, one of the speakers on that was Bo Yang. And uh, he was telling us about uh, the Y incision for uh, aortic annular enlargement. Uh, and uh, really timely, we've just got a fantastic video to show you exactly how that's done. Uh, so this is by uh, Dambuza Nayamande and, uh, and uh, Dr. Kampetu from South Africa. And uh, they've put a head camera on and they have shown us an absolute beaut uh, of this video. So remember, um, we all need to enlarge uh, the annulus sometimes. A patient prosthesis mismatch is a real thing. Uh, and, uh, and so we all need to do it sometimes. It's all quite scary because it's quite rare. So we've got our nicks and we've got our manugin, but now we've got our Yang procedure. So what is the Yang procedure? So the Yang procedure, you cut between the uh, non and left coronary cusp. Um, you cut down, but then normally you've got to cut into the mitral annulus. You might have to patch that mitral valve. You know, that's pretty uh, scary, turning things into two valve disease that you're trying to fix. Well, the Yang procedure fixes this because you're going to go out laterally. So you're going to go down the annulus. Then when you hit the fibrous trigon, you're going to go either way. And you're going to go about three centimeters either side. And this video uh, shows this in absolutely brilliant detail. Uh, this patient that was presented was actually a 45-year-old women with uh, mixed aortic and mitral valve disease. So this person is actually having a double valve replacement. So they did their Yang procedure first uh, and then they went and did the mitral. They just put the sutures in, uh, the pledgeted sutures. Then they came back and patched because that's your next bit is put a patch in uh, and then they did their mitral replacement and aortic valve replacement and they put a much bigger valve in. It was a 21 I believe and then they managed to put a 29 from doing that. Really good video, really interesting and actually uh, if you ever want to have aortic annulus enlargement in your armory, which we all need to really, um, it's, it's, it's a standard part of what we must do, then do check out this video because it does look like the most simple way to do it now. 
Really good job. Moving over to thoracic surgery, we've got a nice video, especially for trainees or people starting out in uniportal thoracic surgery. Uh, and this video is by Elisa Sicolo, the University Hospital of Pisa, and Mary, Maria uh, Mastro Marino. Uh, and uh, they've done a really nice demonstration of a uniportal VATS for an unknown lesion. But the nice little bit they do, apart from just doing a really nice job of it, uh, show the incision, the correct place, uh, look really smooth. Uh, they actually, because you're going in one direction, sometimes you're going away from yourself all the time with a stapler, but they show us uh, the stapler called the radial reload by Convidian, and it's actually like a hockey stick. Uh, we call it the hockey stick at our place. And so instead of constantly going far away from yourself, you can just staple, then hockey stick around, and then sta staple the other side. Um, it's quite a big thing, but it's ideal for uniportal surgery. So check that out, have a look and see what you think. It doesn't cost that much more than standard staple firings and it fits on the same gun. Great job guys, really like that video. Um, so the third video we've got, uh, this is absolutely fantastic. Um, it really is the heart sink patient, isn't it? A patient that's had a TAVA and they come to you with, uh, with failure of the valve and you're like, oh my God, I have got to get this thing out. Well, this is quite, quite a story, this one. So Quidong Chen from the Cedar sinai Medical Center uh, with Joe Chikwi, Dominic Emerson, the fabulous team down there have done a beautiful video of exactly this, but they have, they have done a TAVA explant on steroids because as after doing the TAVA uh, removal, they then go and perform a ROS procedure and they do it beautifully and it's a lovely video. Now listen to the story of the patient, a 46 year old man with bicuspid aortic valve disease who had a TAVA. Hmm. Anyway, they, they very uh, politically don't say anything more about that, but uh, that didn't seem like a very good idea. Anyway, here they come. They've got aortic valve stenosis, peak gradient 57, young guy. So they've got to operate, you know, no choice whatsoever. But the patient clearly does not want to have lifelong anticoagulation. So what's the best operation for a 46-year-old who doesn't want warfarin? answers on a postcard. But uh, for this unit, uh, very technically difficult, but very good long-term uh, outcomes in the right hands is a ROS procedure. So they showed us uh, the median stenotomy, uh, cardioplegic arrest, and then how they took out the TAVA valve. Looked really, really difficult. It was stuck on the anterior mitral leaflet, but they peeled it away super, super carefully, uh, which is really great. Interestingly, they then removed the native aortic valve leaflets because they were still there, squashed to the side from the aortic valve. Uh, they also did a cryomaze as well and left atrial appendage occlusion. Uh, and then they went on to uh, prepare the buttons, go across to the pulmonary valve, uh, did a really nice job of, of explanting the valve. Uh, they put in a little Satinsky under the valve and poked just out of the right ventricle just so that they could see inside, so they got the valve correct. And, um, and then after doing that, uh, they then changed uh, the, uh, the valve, which is really, really great. So, uh, so that was brilliant, so check that out. So that's nearly all we've got time for. I've just got uh, two more things to tell you. A few upcoming events. Uh, we've got the Hamburg Valve Repair course. Uh, uh, this is mitral aortic valve repair on the 20th to the 22nd to the 23rd. Uh, this is going to be a hybrid event, so do check that out. It looks really, really interesting. 
Uh, second thing is Case Corner, EX Case Corner and Thoracic Surgery on May the 25th. This is a totally virtual course. Lots of really, really interesting thoracic cases. And Aortic Asia uh, has an interesting event on the 26th to the 27th. Uh, this is from the chapter of Cardiothoracic Surgeries in the Society of Vascular and Endovascular Surgery of Singapore. Uh, and it is multi-platform, so do check that out. Finally, uh, we always finish with two little extra items. Where's Diego? Well, Diego, the world roving thoracic surgeon, started in Lisbon. He did a uniportal robotic carinal sleeve, disconnecting the whole lung from the carina, uh, removing the upper lobe and, and plumbing on that lower lobe. Looked absolutely amazing. And then he got in a plane, flew to the Canary Islands, uh, and, um, and, and he had a conference there. And he's had a quiet week, so he did have some opportunity for a bit of surfing. Well desire break for Diego. Well done. And honourable mention. Honourable mention goes to Chip and Sia Bowman. Absolutely fantastic people. They run Team Heart. Team Heart go out three times a year to Rwanda and they have just set up a wonderful service over multiple years. Uh, Chip Bowman, one of the most senior surgeons in America, has really dedicated a huge amount of time to this. And Sia, his wife, who uh, was a nurse by background, is now doing this full time. Uh, they, of course, uh, wrote that document we talked about a bit earlier, but they are so fantastic. I've had some conference calls with them. They're wonderful, humble people. They're just there to help the brilliant people of Rwanda. It's a transformed country, Rwanda, since the war 24 years ago. Um, it really is. So, so congratulations, Chip and Sia. You're our honourable mention today. So that's nearly it. Um, just a tiny uh, heads up for you, because we've got a new website coming. It's super exciting. Uh, we've got a website coming. It's coming soon. It's going to be cleaner, less adverts, more content, easier for you to interact with us. So do uh, take it, keep a look out for that. So thank you very much for listening all the way to the end. It's much appreciated. Uh, we can't do this without you this is a news and interesting item service for the classic community there isn't anything else out out there like it so i hope you enjoy it uh, and it wouldn't be the same without your comments so do get in contact my name is joel dunning and uh, tune in next week for another episode of the ctsnet beat podcast